Good morning, church. Good morning, Blake. Today we are going to be in John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15, if you'd like to follow along in your scripture. Um, we are going to discuss feeding 5,000. Feeding 5,000. Now, the title of that, the subtitle, even the title that it's given by the scripture is a little misleading. So today's way that we deal with things, we usually want to give a full face value of the number of people that we see present. In the culture at that point in time, they numbered the amount of men. And so the scripture tells us that it was about 5,000 men. And their families were with them, many of them. So the typical man, if the typical man had his wife and two kids there, it would have been like feeding 20,000 people. So just letting you know, giving you the heads up, this situation is nothing short of a miraculous sign that Jesus is the Son of God. Don't be deceived by 5,000. We're talking about Thousands and thousands of thousands. Uh, speaking of signs, the Apostle John sections out in his book, in his uh, gospel message record that, uh, that he recorded, he sections out a number of signs, seven specifically, that Jesus did. And feeding the 5,000 is number four of the signs that he's uh, outlined. The first one that we've already went over was uh, turning the water to wine at the wedding. The second one was healing the official's son. And the third one was healing the par paralyzed man at the pool. And now Jesus has crossed over the far side of Galilee in John chapter 6, verse 1. Also known as the Sea of Tiberias. And a huge crowd, verse 2, kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly the time for the Jewish Passover celebration. And Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, Where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, Even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them all. And then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish, but what good is that with this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves and gave thanks to God and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish, and they ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, Now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps 
left over by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, Surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. When Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. Now, a little bit more background. This is the only miracle other than the resurrection that is recorded in all four gospel accounts. The only one other than the resurrection. You can read the account of Jesus feeding the 5,000 or the 20-some thousand or however many it may have been in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's really neat when you compare uh, all the accounts and you can sometimes see details in one that weren't recorded in the other and there's always some main points that stick out in all of them that are the same. So, let's look at the people. Who do we have in this account? Uh, First off, we have Jesus. He's the main character. And then we have the disciples and specifically John mentions Philip by name and Andrew by name. The other gospel accounts don't mention these two, but John pulls them out as to single them out for some reason. So we have Jesus, the disciples, and then we have the crowd. And we recognize the crowd is enormous. This is a very large crowd of people. The fact that this crowd is so huge will blow our mind when we understand, when we rationalize what happened here. So that's the people. And the problem, there's lots of folks that are hungry. People have been here for quite a while listening to Jesus talk, and they've walked a ways away, and they're hungry. That's the problem. It's actually not the real problem, though. It's not the real problem. People need saving. People need to be saved. A lot of them. As a matter of fact, every person in the world needs to be saved from their sin. And this is the true problem, and this is what Jesus is addressing. And so the physical problem of bellies growling, becoming lightheaded or dizzy because you don't have physical sustenance, that's the secondary problem. But Jesus will use any situation he can to get his message across about the spiritual problem and about the need for people to be saved. So the solution, of course, is always Jesus. It's always safe to say, hey, Jesus is the answer to your problem. But this time, Jesus wants the disciples to put some faith into action. He's calling them out. He wants to pull some faith out of them. He wants them to respond with faith. He invites them to do such. The disciples recognize the physical problem. They come to Jesus and they say, these folks are hungry. They've got to be. Um, A lot of them are hungry. Look at all of them, Jesus. And we're somewhat responsible for them being hungry. We called them out here. They followed us out here. And you're preaching. And here they are hearing the word of God. And so, man, they're hungry. What do we do about it? <laughs> and Jesus says, Hmm, where are we going to find food 
to feed all these people. I'm sure there's silence. Philip, where are we going to find it? And Philip beats me. It would take several months to earn the food to feed all of these people. And actually, the scripture says uh, that it wouldn't take that much money. It said it, that much money wouldn't feed all of these people. 200 denarii, like that's a denarii, denarii, is one man's uh, wage for a day, a labor man. So 200 days of wages uh, would not buy enough food for all of these people. That's a lot of money. That's what Philip says. And, and he's like, you got me, Jesus. I have no idea how we're going to feed all these people. And Jesus, I don't know if, um, you know, Jesus would do things like smack his forehead. Like, oh. um, but uh, I feel like this is this kind of moment. Come on, Philip. Philip, you've seen, you've, you've hung out with me before. You've seen me do things like turn water into wine like uh, heal people. And now I ask you a question. How are we going to feed all of these people? And you don't have any idea? Come on, Philip. At least Andrew has some sort of reply. He comes up with something. Maybe we should give credit to the little boy who comes up with the five, fish, or five loaves and two fishes. Fish. He comes up there and Hey, look at what I've got. Show this to Jesus. Um, you know, Andrew, maybe he was like, no, 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 no. Okay, fine. Here's what we have, Jesus. But, but what is this to feed all of these people? But at least Andrew says something. And I don't mean to be too hard on the disciples because, quite frankly, if I would have been there, it would have probably been worse. I would have been saying, Jesus, there's no way it's impossible feed all of these people. You know, there is often a gap between what the disciple perceives and what he believes. What the disciple perceives and what he believes. Now put your name in there. We're disciples. It's not just, uh, just specifically to these 12 that we read about. And even though it says he, it's not just specific to men. Disciples of Christ, that should be all of us right here. There is a gap between what we perceive and what we believe often. Remember 2 Corinthians 5, 7. It says we live by faith, not by sight. Now obviously, these disciples that Jesus is talking to, could perceive an impossible situation. Impossible. They perceive that. But Jesus wanted them to believe a miraculous solution. Believe in it. So, folks, let's perceive what the Lord tells us to believe not believe only what we perceive with our eyes. Let's live by faith and not by sight. I wonder, how will you respond 
to Jesus when he asks you this kind of question? Will you respond by questioning what he is asking? What are you saying, Jesus? I don't get that. Why are you asking me? Or will you respond with action? One of my favorite illustrations of this is one that you all know well, the story of David and Goliath. And so here is a little fella, David. Well, I'm not maybe little in size, although the scripture may say he's kind of small. But he is not really important. And he comes into the field of, of battle. And there is a guy on the other side. And boy, uh, David doesn't know what exactly is going on here other than he's walking into the army. And all of a sudden he hears somebody slandering the name of God, somebody cursing God, the true living God of Israel. And David is, might we say, offended on behalf of God. There's a lot of other people here questioning what they previously believed. Now, there's no specific question that was posed to David or to the other soldiers there, like when Jesus asked the disciples, uh, how are we going to feed them? But we do know that the Lord was to be honored, and these Jewish folks like David himself would have known the scriptures that told him, honor God first, do not fear your enemy. And so when David walks up, knowing this in the back of his mind, having faith, he doesn't say, hmm, how am I going to conquer that guy who's slandering the name of God. How am I going to, what am I going to do? No, he walks up and he says, okay, what is going on and why is he doing that? I'm going to put a stop to it right now. Maybe he doesn't know how. He just starts walking realizes, oh yeah, that's right. I've got some rocks right here in my pocket and my sling and I'll solve this problem right now. He does not hesitate at all. He goes up there, fixes the situation. Everybody else is questioning how am I going to do this? How are we going to do this as a whole army? That guy's big. Not David. I wonder if the situation has come up in your life where Jesus, where the Lord has asked you to do something. Maybe it is to confront something evil that is against God in your life. Maybe it's to change from one job position to another. And you continue to say, I don't think I can do that, God. That doesn't seem possible. It wouldn't be enough money. Or, or I'm not strong enough. Or, I don't have the courage to do that. Or would you be like David and say, if God wants me to do that, I can't fail. Yeah, God. I'm following you. Count me in. No one goes against the Lord God. Not even me. David must have said that. Not even I can go against the Lord. And yet, we're the ones that are battling ourselves, trying to hold ourselves back from doing His kingdom work. So what happens after... 
the question is asked. The question that uh, was responded to by questioning Jesus is, is uh, easily broken down into four distinct parts. And if you compare all the, the accounts in each one of the Gospels, you can um, kind of put some 3D, uh, some, some 3D action into the situation and what's happening. And all four accounts give four points, specifically in the first one, is that we are to pray and give thanks first. Jesus blessed the five loaves and the two fishes. He thanked God for what was there. It was small. The boy had a few things. He gave it. It was really generous. And the first thing Jesus did, the first step of action for a disciple that we should have to be like Jesus is to pray and express thankfulness. Pray and express thankfulness. Be thankful for what you have. Even though it doesn't seem like enough, because quite honestly, how many days do we think, boy, what I have isn't quite what I need. What I have isn't quite enough. We need to give thanks for what we have, even though it doesn't seem like it's enough. This is a disciple's first step in battle as well. Ephesians chapter 6, our, our favorite chapter in the scripture on battle, you know, our battle chapter, tells us to, to dress up in the armor of God and gives us uh, very good steps on how to keep things like the word of God and the peace and the truth and everything with us so that we're able to go into these spiritual battles that we are a part of every day. This uh, particular chapter tells us to pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. It's to equip us for battle, praying, all times and on every occasion. Pray the Word of God. Pray the Scripture. If you're not very good at making up your own prayer, God's got all kinds of words for us to pray that he gave to us. Pray the scripture when Jesus was hungry in the wilderness and the devil said, hey, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Interesting enough, we're dealing with loaves of bread. And, and uh, he said, you know, just tell them to become loaves of bread and, and there you go, Jesus. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say, Jesus is talking from the scripture and he doesn't even need to, it wouldn't seem, right? Because Jesus says scripture. But this is an, uh, a model for us to follow Jesus in. The scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I like what 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, verse 17 says. The, the, uh, the uh, book and the numbers are longer than the actual verse here. Never stop praying. Never stop Folks, hang on to that. As a disciple of Christ, when you're doing kingdom work for the Lord, hang on to this verse. It's what's going to keep us strong, to give us the energy to keep in that battle. So the miracle starts with prayer. Even miracles like feeding 5,000 men and their families. Uh, the second point I see is uh, a calling for us to do our kingdom job. Each one of us has a job to do. 
The Lord has given it to us, and maybe we don't know what it is, uh, but he has given us specific gifts and qualities, each one of us, and uh, the scripture is asking us to do what the Lord is telling us to do. In this situation, this is the distribution of the fish. You know, the disciples, they played a major part in this. The five loaves and the, the two fish, it wasn't manna just falling from the sky, conveniently, automatically delivered to each person on that hillside that were sitting down. Um, it had to be delivered to each group of them. In, in uh, some of the accounts, uh, Jesus told the disciples to have the people set in groups of 50 or 100. So there was some organization here. It puts like the reality of what happened here. It wasn't just some miraculous thing where all of a sudden food appeared in the hands. No, it required the disciples to do some kingdom work. Jesus said, spread it out. Take this food that I blessed and am providing for everybody. Take it to them. A disciple's job. Doing what the Lord tells us to do. Whatever that might be. Delivering whatever He tells us to deliver. Sometimes we want to do the miracle ourselves. And it's usually not because we think we're better than Jesus. We can perform miracles. We don't need God. Although that could be the case sometimes. But it's typically because, well, we get ahead of ourselves. We put the cart before the horse. And we start walking without God. I think, I can handle this on my own. John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by Himself. He does only what He sees the Father doing. Mm. That verse right there says that uh, Jesus only does what the Father does. He can't do it by Himself. Well, if Jesus doesn't operate separate from his Father God, then boy, why would we operate separate from Jesus and our Father God? This is our Savior. Saying he doesn't do anything without God. Man, we just have to keep that in in mind. We cannot be apart from our Father when we're being his disciple. A disciple's job is to distribute what God gives us, what Jesus gives. And Jesus gives bread and fish. And the bread and fish is a stepping stone to the spiritual food that matters the most. When Jesus gives uh, all kinds of things to us, He gives love. When He gives that to us, Distribute it to others. Give it to others. When Jesus gives peace, take it to other people. When Jesus gives perseverance, distribute it to the crowd. When He gives grace, when He gives mercy, when He gives the good news of salvation, be a disciple. Give it to the crowd. Distribute it. The good news, man. I never was a paper boy. Maybe some of you were. There's plenty of movies that 
show you know, a young boy wanting his first job, and he gets this job delivering papers. And it always seemed really cool to me. I didn't live in town, but if I did, it would be really neat to have this kind of a job where you got to ride your bicycle, basket full of papers, newspapers, just throw it up onto the porch. I would have loved that job. How exciting was it? You know, they uh, came across dogs that were mean, and they would chase you, and you'd have to figure out some special way to get the paper up on there without getting ate by the dog. And, uh, you know, you had to swerve in and out of cars. It seems like a really, um, really a dangerous occupation for a 14-year-old boy. But uh, what an exciting thing to do, to deliver the newspaper. Um, but as cool as that is, how much neater is it to deliver the good news of salvation? And hey, there's going to be not dogs, but wolves that are trying to get you, that are trying to rip out the seat of your britches as you're riding away, to try to prevent you from getting that good news on the doorstep of the person who needs it. neat thing about delivering the good news as a disciple is that we don't throw and go. We have the option to knock on the door, to shake a hand, to share some life-giving words, to share some love, to help out. It's a personal job. It's a very, a very spiritual act for us to walk someone to the point of giving their life to Christ, earning, not earning, but gaining eternal salvation through Jesus. Do your kingdom job. The third point is that the people uh, here, they ate until they were full. It's important for us to know that God will fill us. God will fill you until you're full. Our God is a God who takes care of His people. He gives us more than enough. More than we need. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 says, Now all glory to God who is able through His mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Infinitely more. Providing one piece of bread with a little tuna spread on it. I like my sandwiches with a peanut butter and jam or tuna or whatever to have, you know, at least an, at three quarters of an inch maybe uh, thick of stuff spread onto it. Otherwise, it ain't worth eating something. Uh, we're not talking about a piece of bread with just a little bitty thin layer. Uh, if they got that, that huge crowd of people, if they got that little bitty piece of bread with a thin layer, they would be uh, probably happy, actually. But that's not what we're talking about. This isn't just a survival situation where you ration the food. Well, I don't know, Jesus, if we're going to have enough. I know you've turned a little bit into a lot, but we better ration it so that we make sure everyone can eat, right? That's, that's not the case here. That's not the case. This isn't just half a sandwich. They were full. Full. They had all they could eat. All 500 men plus their families had as much as they wanted. All glory to God who is able through His mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think.
the disciples. They didn't have this verse right here uh, to look at because the Apostle Paul wrote it later on. But look at how it applies to the disciples' situation in, at this miraculous sign that Jesus gives. His mighty power was at work within them at this moment. Inside the disciples, you see mighty power working in them. Seeing the baskets continue to miraculously, miraculously fill with bread and fish, man, that must have made them overwhelmed with amazement. How is this happening? Boy, I just, I just wonder, is it, did they fill up and overflow, or was it as they would take one out? It had to be just working inside them. This is the power of God. It must be. There's no other way to explain it. And we know that it was more than they might ask or think, the disciples. Because at first they were like, where are we going to get this amount of food? And like five loaves and two fish? <laughs> That's nowhere near enough. So as this verse says, this was definitely more than they might ask or think. All glory to God, because he is able to do this. And it's really, really neat that he wants us to be part of it. He wants us to help him do his kingdom work. He doesn't need us to do his kingdom work. He wants us to help him do his kingdom work. Folks, don't miss the importance of this miracle being not the physical food. You remember when Jesus met the Samaritan woman at the well? He offered her living water. He told her, anyone who drinks this water in this well will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It gives eternal life. And when the disciples go there, they were trying to get Jesus to eat. Here Jesus eats something. And Jesus told them, I have a kind of food that you know nothing about. You don't know about this food, obviously. And here a little bit later on, he's making lots of food for lots of people. The message here is, if you are hungry for forgiveness, and you repent of your sin and ask Jesus for it, then you will be full you will have infinitely more than you could ever want or need because of God's great mercy. His death and His resurrection is more than enough to save you from all the wrong that you've done. It's more than enough to save you from hell. But you must accept Him as your Lord and Savior. And that means you're going to turn from every bad idea that you've ever had and accept God's Word as it is written in our Bibles. We don't get to decide what's right or wrong, but we do get to decide to follow Jesus. Know that God will fill you until you are full and past. Everyone ate until they were full, and that was infinitely more than what everyone might have asked or thought was possible, but the miracle's not done yet. It's not over yet. Because the fourth point I see in all these texts here is that there were 12 baskets left over. 12 of them left over. There were leftovers. And they were the right kind of leftover. 
Like, there were certain things you don't want to eat left over. Sometimes you put rice in a fridge and um, it kind of gets crunchy. My mom and dad make this stuff called cheesy spaghetti and it's kind of like a casserole. And I'm telling you what, you put it in the refrigerator the next day, it's, it's even better. Like, it's good in the first place, but something about putting it in the refrigerator and having it left over makes it even better the second time around. Leftovers. So I think Jesus was saying to his disciples, hey, I'm not forgetting about you 12. You worked hard today. Yeah, I know you didn't have faith when there was no food and you had no idea how we were going to feed all of these people, but I care about you. And so there's 12 baskets left over. I think sometimes as disciples, we can feel like everyone else is receiving all the mercy, all the grace, all the salvation, and we're just doing the work every day. But Jesus is reminding us, don't forget the mercy and grace and salvation in your life every day. The Lord does not forget about His faithful servants. You don't just get the leftovers. You get everything that he offers everyone else grace and mercy and peace now, one more thing guys after this miracle the crowd thought that Jesus was amazing understandably right who could make this much food to feed everybody let's make him our king they said the crowd did they're like if this guy can turn this much food into this much food He's got to be our king. He's the one. He's the prophet that we've been waiting for. Let's make him our king. It's a great idea except for there's a problem with it. There's a problem with it. First, we don't make Jesus do anything. We don't make him do anything. We ask him according to his word and he is faithful to be our king. According to his word, he is faithful. We don't make him do it. And they couldn't make him be their king. But number two, we must understand what kind of king he is. And the folks at that point didn't know. They didn't know uh, that he had come to die for them. They didn't know that salvation for them came through death and resurrection. They didn't understand that. Folks, we know that Jesus came for each and every one of us, and we know that there's someone out there in the community today that doesn't believe in Jesus, and he came for them. And it's up to us as his disciples to take the good news to them so Jesus can perform a miraculous thing in saving another soul to be in heaven with us. We must understand that Jesus is a king who is our Savior. Don't ever forget that our King is a Savior and how He saved us. Let us pray before Him right now. Quite simply for you, made so much food out of something small, and yet the bigger thing is, is that you save each and every one of us that put our faith in you from hell because you was resurrected after death yourself, Lord. That's the big deal, that we get forgiveness from our sin, that we get grace and mercy, 
because of you. And we are so grateful for that, Jesus. Lord, I ask that you would give us 